The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Thank you for its author, Paul, and the amazing things, oh, the amazing things that you've done through him. And as we're going to look at a specific prayer this morning that encompasses every one of us here today, I pray that our hearts would be wide open vessels to receive the truth that you have promised for us. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at verses uh, 14 through 19 specifically, but I want to say something before we begin. When we pray, often we are praying, God, if it be thy will. Lord, if this is what you want. Lord, I pray that this is what will happen. Well, what we're looking at this morning does not fit into any of those categories because it is specifically a promise from God. And God wants you and I to receive completely these words. So look with me as we read, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, we're going to look at this in a little more detail in a few minutes, but I just want you to contemplate those last words, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I don't know about you, but that totally blows my mind. As you sit here this morning, how many of you could say, I am filled with all the fullness of God. This isn't a hope so. This isn't I wish it would happen. This is offered by God specifically for you and I. God wants you to be full of all of this. Now, anyone who has ever thought seriously about prayer has at one time or another questioned its value. Sometimes this is because we don't get what we pray for. We pray for what we think is God's will, but the answer is denied or delayed, or we just don't know. And then we ask, what is the purpose of prayer? Does prayer really work? Our prayers do not get God to change his mind. If they did, that would be disastrous. But it is striking that these or any other questions do not seem to have deterred the biblical writers. In fact, on the contrary, the more aware they were of God's sovereignty and God's will, the more fervently they prayed. That means that the more they understood God's direct will and his decrees, the more they prayed. So what does this mean? Well, it simply means that the more they understood Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, and the more they began to gain the mind of Christ, the more they realized that true prayer originates in heaven. And when God fills our hearts and changes us, the desire of our heart is to pray specifically what God has promised because we know there is nothing better. And so our prayers stop being maybe superficial or for me and and what I hope and what I want. And they become more of God, what you want. What do you want from me? 
And that's the tremendous blessing. So we see the first point, the reason for this prayer. This is the case with Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. It's the second of two prayers that Paul had for the Ephesians. The prayer begins, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. What this means is that Paul is praying for a very specific reason. What is that reason? Is it because Paul is imprisoned and he doesn't want the Ephesians to become discouraged by his suffering? Look at verse, go back up to verse 13. Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, what is Paul saying here? Well, the reality is that here is a man who is spending his life preaching and building into these people the unsearchable riches of Christ. He's building in, into them the reality that God can be trusted, that you can cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. But now here's Paul, the one who is pushing all these, and he's in bondage. He is suffering. And so there's a concern that people might think, well, look, here's this guy, and he's telling us all the glories, and he's suffering. Maybe I just don't want to be so close. Maybe it would be better if I kind of held back. And so Paul says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Think about that. I think there's more though. It's also Paul's confidence that God has already determined to do these very things for and in the believers whom he's praying for. For this reason could refer back to any one of the promises that he has already been laying down before them. But remember what these verses are about. They tell us how God is establishing his church, a new humanity gathering from the old humanity in which the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed. God is doing this. God is showing forth his glory in us. Therefore, that is that for this very reason, Paul prays for those in whom he is, in whom he is doing it. He prays that they might be vessels strengthened by God for this important task. So like all of Paul's teaching, the deep doctrine is not just for intellectual. It is for experience. It is for living. And so Paul says very clearly, look, what I am going through is for you. You see, I think all of us would agree the word, the Bible, is God's word. It is led by the Spirit. It is poured into us. But at times, it's just words. And why is that? Well, because in our human frailty, we tend to look at things objectively. And I've heard it before, and I hear the preacher say it all the time, and that's true. But sometimes, in order to emphasize the reality... God allows Paul to preach with his life. So Paul says, look, I've been saying this, but now watch me. Watch me live it. Watch me. That is the great power. It's one thing for us to read over and over, but now to see it, wow. And that's what he's saying to these Ephesians. Look at me. It's all for you. It's all for you. So you can be encouraged. But now look at the family. Another way of saying this is to notice that Paul is praying for Christians as God's family. And that he is therefore praying with the boldness of family relationships. We pray for many persons, of course, many people who aren't even saved, and we, and we pray that they would come to Christ. We pray for those who, who are in authority, 
We pray for the heathen, asking God to draw them. And this is all right. But at the same time, we do not pray with the same measure of confidence that we pray for other Christians. We do not know whom God is going to save because the same word that softens the clay also hardens the clay. But when we pray for Christians, we pray for those who have already responded to the gospel and we know what God is doing in them. God is making them like the Lord Jesus Christ, teaching them to live and to serve and even suffer as he did. So, we are bold in these prayers. We do not pray, if it be thy will. This is God's will. We pray that God will accomplish it in those whom, for whom we also deeply care. So you see, when Paul goes through this list and he prays that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, he is praying what he knows is right. And he's praying for what he knows God wants. And he's asking God that these people would embrace it and get it and let it go deep in their hearts. Moreover, this is to be our prayer for all Christians, not merely for those who are like us or whom we particularly like or favor. When Paul uses the phrase every family in verse 15, he is doing two interesting things here. In the Greek, the word is pasa patria, and since the word for father in the immediate preceding phrase is pater, there is an obvious play on words here that really isn't seen in the English. Our spiritual family, patria, derives its being and even its very name from the pater, the father. The other interesting word is pasa. Pasa can also mean, and most of the time does, every. In which case, the phrase pasa patria would mean every family, meaning perhaps every family within. So he is calling on people to pray for every family within the whole scope of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for all Christians in Christ. Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, poor male, female, young, old, anyone who is named the name of Christ. And what that does is that allows this very prayer to be applied to you and I. So here's the great lesson in prayer. When we pray, we must go beyond our own small circle of friends and pray for the church at large. We must pray that it be strengthened throughout the whole world. And we pray that it would be encouraged and empowered by God. And especially today, when more and more the church is being challenged all over the world. We've seen it like never before in our country. And we're going to see it more and more as it comes. We need to be praying for all Christians everywhere. But the prayer is a specific prayer. Paul's prayer for the whole family of God shows not only whom we should pray for and why we should pray, but also gives us an outline of what to pray for. So let's take a few minutes and be very specific to break down what Paul is telling us to pray for here. Number one, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul has been talking about suffering. And this is probably why he begins this prayer with the request that the Ephesians might be strengthened by God's Spirit. None of us show much of the manifold wisdom of God during easy times. It's in suffering that the grace of God is manifested. But who has strength in suffering? We do not choose suffering. We shrink from suffering. And like Christ in the garden, we pray, God, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from us. If we are to show God's wisdom 
in such times. We must be, it must be by God's strength and not ours. He must minister to us by his spirit as the spirit ministered to Christ in those same hours. Still, it is not only in times of suffering that we need to call upon God. Is it temptation? We need strength to resist it and to be victorious in Christ through temptation. Is it in witnessing? We need strength to speak the truth regardless of what the world may think of us. When Jesus prayed that the Father would send his comforter to us, the Holy Spirit, send to his disciples, it was this that he chiefly had in mind. The word is parakletos, comforter, counselor, or advocate. And it means one called alongside to help. The Holy Spirit helps us to do the right thing in difficult times. Number two, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, at first, this seems like a redundant statement. For what makes believers believers is their having Christ in their hearts. If he is not part of them through faith, they're not Christians. But of course, Paul means far more than this. It is true that all who are Christians are indwelt by Jesus Christ. But it is also true that this is something they grow on a daily basis as they're in the word of God, as they're gaining the mind of Christ, that they might be strengthened in their inner person. In other words, relinquishing all control to Christ. And this is where it gets tough, doesn't it? When I am willing to step back and give him it all and trust him. And that's the power that works in the heart of all of us. The more we trust Christ, the more we grow. The more we grow, the more we're tested. And the more we're tested, the more we understand that is him working in and through us to guide us in every situation. The clue to Paul's meaning is actually found in his choice of the word katoikio. Rather than the smaller word parakikio, both of which are sometimes translated dwell. The second word, which Paul does not use here, means to dwell as a stranger. You could think of this of Abraham dwelling in a land that's not his own. But the first word, katoikio, which Paul does use, means to dwell in the sense of settling down in a place and putting in roots to be there permanently. As John Stott points out, it is used for the fullness of the Godhead abiding in Christ and as here for Christ abiding in the believer's heart and life. So the prayer is that Christ might settle down in our hearts and control them as the rightful owner. Dare I say it? He must increase and I must decrease. The reality is the Holy Spirit is putting down roots. When you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was given to you to indwell you. And he's not going anywhere. Because it is a spirit who seals you until the day of redemption. It is the spirit of God that guides you into all truth. So the amazing thing that you and I come to realize is that no matter what life throws at me, I've got the spirit of God. And he will always triumph in the will of God. And that's the power of victory that made Paul the man he was. That's why Paul could say, in whatever situation I'm in, I have learned to be content. Because it's no longer me, but it's Christ living in me. What a fantastic joy that we all share. Number three that the believer may be rooted and grounded in love. Now, Paul uses a mixed metaphor here. Rooted and grounded or established in love. The first metaphor is botanical. It gives us the mind of a plant that is anchored deep in the rich soil. And it draws water and nourishment so that it grows and flourishes and continues to prosper. 
The second is architectural. It compares the Christian as being anchored into a strong foundation of Christ's love. In the first case, love is pictured as something that nourishes us, that supplies what we need to live. And in the second case, it is pictured as a solid foundation. What a tremendous picture. Every need you have is supplied like the roots to a branch. All the security you need, you're anchored in Christ. And so Paul is praying that believers may be rooted and grounded in love. You know what he's saying? Understand who you are, where you are, and you can't lose. And that's God giving Paul the words to pray in writing for you and I today. What an amazing power. And number four, that believers may be able to grasp the full dimensions of Christ's love. Now, Paul has already prayed that the Christians at Ephesus might be rooted and established in love. That is, that the love might fill and support them. But here, he's thinking of Christ's love for us and prays that we might comprehend that love. Now, when I first got saved, I understood that God, before the foundation of the world, chose me. I understood that when I came to Christ, I was giving eternal life. I understood that all things passed away, behold, all things became new. But I didn't comprehend it. Who can really comprehend that at first? The fact that your life has been eternally transformed. Who can really comprehend that? So Paul is praying that we now, through the word, through the spirit, would begin to comprehend all that is being done, grasp the full dimensions of his love. And you know why? You know why it's important for you and I to comprehend this? Here's why. Because the more you think and dwell on it, the more you understand who Christ is, the more you understand the power that he is laying in your heart, the stronger you become. The more victorious you become. The more your desire is to live like him. The more you want to walk like Christ. The more you want to say, Christ, not my will, but yours be done. And that's where Paul was. Listen, we look at the Apostle Paul and we go, yeah, but he's just different. The guy was brilliant. Yeah, he was bad. But when he got saved, he was brilliant. God has given him these words. He, he's an apostle. Come on. No. What Paul is reinforcing to you and I, there is no difference between you and me and the apostle Paul. All that the Father gave Paul, he's given to you and me. Therefore, you and I not only have the privilege and the ability, we have the right to be strong because we have been adopted into that family. And when I constantly say he must increase and I must decrease, it's not a cliche. It's a reality of transforming life that you and I may walk Walk in that tremendous power, as Paul did. And know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is living and abiding in me. Think of this. And then you ask yourself in our humanness, but, but how can we fully understand it? Especially when later he calls it love that surpasses knowledge. How are we to grasp it and really know it? Well, there are two answers to that. First, although we cannot exhaust the love of Christ by our knowledge, we can nevertheless know this love truly. It's the same with the knowledge of God generally. We cannot know exhaustively, but we can know the truth of it. 
So although in the same way we cannot know all of Christ's loves for us, we can begin to understand that the love never ends, that it is overflowing, that it continues. And the more we walk with Christ and the closer we walk with Christ, the more that truth becomes real in our lives. And that's why sometimes when we're all up here in our head and reading the word and grasping it, he gives us opportunities to have to live it because of the experience that transforms. Second, we are to grow in our awareness of that love, particularly through the routine hardships and sufferings and persecutions of life. And here is where the matter of the dimensions and the breadth and the length and the height and the depth really comes in. When Paul speaks of width, length, height, and depth, he is literally saying that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degenerate sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. And for the individual, there is nothing too big for God's love to sustain us through anything. I'm reminded of a prisoner who wrote a poem, and the author is unknown. But I'm sure most of you have heard these words before. He wrote, Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor would the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That we might grasp the dimensions of God's love. It is so overwhelming. It is so overwhelming. Number five, that believers may know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now here's another petition which, like verse 17, seems redundant. But again, it is not so. In verse 18, Paul prayed that the Christians at Ephesus might grasp the full dimensions of Christ's love, the love of Christ. That is, that they might understand it. But here he prays that they might know it in the full biblical sense of the word. The chief idea here, experience. It's one thing to understand it. It's another thing to know it. When Paul says right out of the gate, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He is laying the groundwork for reality that in suffering, the reality of Christ is seen. The beautiful picture is painted for all to see. We can read it. We can understand it. But when we see it, we know it. And the great blessing of the Apostle Paul was the joy he experienced in suffering for Christ. Because he realized that God loved him so much that he gave him the opportunity to not just minister in words, but administer in his life. And folks, you don't miss what you see. You grasp it in reality. And what a beautiful picture that Paul has laid down here. Paul wanted them to experience the love of Christ in its fullest extent that surpasses any human knowledge. Number six, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
at this point, the prayer reaches its crescendo. The phrase fullness of God is overwhelming, but it means that Paul is praying that we may be filled up or unto all the fullness of God himself. Think about that. How can this be? We are to be filled with all God's fullness. It's an infinite thing. Of course, we have all eternity to experience it. I think Paul is praying that we would be filled and filled and filled and filled on and on and on. And so on forever as God, out of his infinite resources, increasingly pours himself out into those sinners, now redeemed creatures, he has rescued through the work of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I don't think Paul fully grasped it. I mean, he laid down the words. The words came from the Holy Spirit. But he's human like you and I. I don't think he fully grasped it. The reason I say that is because of verse 20. Look. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us. When Paul says we, he's including himself. And so not only is God able to do it, he is able to do far more abundantly than we can even ask or think. Do you really grasp what we're saying here this morning? When God loved you so much that he created a plan, To redeem you. So that you could be with him forever. He gave you his spirit. He sealed you to the day of redemption. Then gave you the power to comprehend the reality of all of it. We don't have a, a faith, folks, that struggles through and then waits to get to heaven where we get it. You can get it right now. You can experience the power of Christ. So when trials come into your life and things are tough to understand, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's allowed it for a reason. Because he wants you to experience the immeasurable fullness of God. He wants you to share in the love that he has. That blows my mind. But what a joy. What a tremendous privilege. The only thing Paul could do was offer verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. That includes you and me. Forever and ever. Amen. Now you know why I'm always saying Quoting John 3, 3, he must increase, I must decrease. It's not a cliche. It's not a hope so, wish for, oh, it's reality. It's the reality of a spirit working in you. It's a reality of a power beyond our comprehension. It's a reality of a love we'll never fully grasp until glory. But all of it is a reality for us now. What it takes is for you and I to give up. Stop trying to do life our way. Stop trying to enjoy the world and be a Christian on side. Stop trying to mold your life into what seems good for me and and what I consider okay. Step before him. Empty yourself. And say, Lord, take all of me.
And every one of us can be Paul. Not by strength or by my might, says the Lord. It's all of him. I guarantee you, you're a vessel he wants to work through. He saved you, if you know Christ. If you're here this morning and you have no relationship with Christ, I'm telling you, you're missing eternity. You're missing a love and a spectacular life that can heal and guide and direct. And if you don't know Christ, please don't leave this morning without talking to somebody. Because your eternity depends on it. But for you who are Christians, there's no reason to hold back. Give it to Him. Give Him everything. Empty yourself and watch Him work. When we come to the communion table, we're reminded of that, aren't we? We're reminded of the reality of what He did on Calvary to put all of this in motion. So when we read these prayers and we read through all of this stuff, that was all accomplished for us at Calvary. And this is why every month we take the time to take uh, the, the bread and the cup that represents his body broken and his blood shed to save us so we could be the heirs of all of this. So as the men come now and we prepare for this time, I want to ask you to bow your heads and your hearts and be honest with him. Is he increasing in your life? Are you decreasing? Is he all that he wants to be for you? Let's take a few moments and let's be honest with God. Father, as we bow and pray now, as we commit everything to you, I pray that you would speak to every heart here this morning exactly what they need, where they are, and move them to the capacity of forgiveness and trust and experience in the power of you. Speak to us now as we continue to pray. Father, now as we begin this service, this time where we just recognize afresh all that you have done for us, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us in a very unique way, draw us close, minister to our hearts, Lord, for your glory, in Christ's name.
For I received of the Lord what also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it is our custom, if we'll all stand and join hands throughout the auditorium, we'll sing a verse of this hymn. And Father, we thank you that we no longer have to be blind, that through the power of your word, we can see and see clearly the amazing truths of scripture. I pray that you go with us this morning with a deep desire to know you fully, which has been promised clearly to us. May we no longer muddle through life on our own, 
but know the fullness of Christ that we can live triumphantly until you come. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless.